Hello, listener. It's me, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. You're listening to Starburst's The Bookworm Podcast, also known as The Bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com. We come to you in association with Starburst magazine, hence the name Starburst, and we're all about the books, all about the books, all about the books. Coming up on the show, I will be talking about Shark Punk. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't, I can't hear you say that without giggling. Um, and I'll be um, looking at the world of Pride and Prejudice through the eyes of the servants in Longburn by Joe Baker. Very excited about that. <laughs> um, and I will be sleeping. Uh, and and we will be beating you up with like books and stuff to wake you up. We'll also be talking to Tim Wagoner, who is better known for writing supernatural tie-in fiction. And we'll be talking to him about his latest work, which is available on Angry Robot Books. Coming up next, book news! So, uh, just in case you don't know, you can find us on Starburst Magazine under the selection of podcasts. You can also find us on Radio Bookworm, on Tumblr, Facebook and Twitter. You can also find the radio station on com. Feel free to tweet us or tumble us or Facebook us during the show. If you're listening to a podcast, feel free to do that anyway and we might even give you a sneaky mention. Especially if you're trying to plug your book. We always like it when you try and plug your book. Plug your book. You know, I feel a bit gigglish after you've said tumble us and plug. Okay, moving <laughs> on. What? I know where Nympha's going and I'm not going anywhere near it. I'm uh, sorry. So, um, before we get on to the book, now, shall we mention the, the, the Nebula Awards? Let's mention the Nebula Awards. Okay. Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America are pleased to announce the nominees um, and, and winners and all the rest of it for the Nebula Awards. Actually, let's go back to the Nebula Awards in a moment when producer Al has an idea. Oh no, we've got the winners here. Um, so, the winners are uh, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer for Best Novel, Ooh. Yesterday's Kin by Nancy Cress for Best Novella, Jackalope Wives by Ursula Vernon, who's mm. also quite popular on Tumblr, for Best Short Story, uh, and A Guide to oh, what on earth? A guide to the Fruits of Hawaii by Alia Dawn. So there you go. Those are the winners of the Nebula. There's, a, there, there's an American award that um, is becoming increasingly less relevant to the community. Uh, oh, I know. Well, um, and, and you're shouting at me for my for my filthy puns, honestly. Yeah, I, d- 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 just take a look at your life, Edward. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> okay then. Uh, moving on, we have uh, Margaret Atwood has science fiction writer Margaret Atwood um, has locked away one of her manuscripts. Mm-hmm. So, Ooh. you know, it could just be the words "I am a fish." God. Is this future library thing? It's the future library. It is the future library thing, um, and I I don't know what how to feel about this. I I I don't know how 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 to feel. I mean, the 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 project is really interesting. Um, It's basically they've planted a um, 
a forest of a thousand trees in Nordmarka, just outside Oslo, Norway. Uh, and then uh, until 2114, um, one writer will be invited to contribute a new tax to the collection. And in 2114, the trees will be cut down to provide the paper for the text to be printed and read. Now, apart from the fact that it springs from 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 the idea that in 2114 we'll still be using paper <laughs> and we would have never moved to something else but i like that as an idea because if we we aren't using paper and if paper's not something that's being used then it becomes a special artifact in and of itself yeah but i don't want a thousand trees to be cut down for a novelty thing in if civilization i don't know if civilization has gotten to the point where not cutting down by cutting down those trees is a major thing, then we're in much more trouble than you know than, than we should expect. Whereas hopefully we'll have got past that point, and you know it'll be fine, and it'll just be a really nice. If no one, if if print has become a truly speciality thing, then it becomes a whole kind of antiquity art statement in and of itself. I don't know. Shall we? Shall we mm. survive for a hundred years and then have a think about it then? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we should survive until twenty one fourteen and find out how this ends. I I have no problem with this. Uh, I mean, as it stands, it's probably going to be my grandchildren, if not my great grandchildren. Well, I'll 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 ask the future cyborg version of me. Okay. To, to pay attention to okay. it. Okay. Um, I think that's fair. It's currently listening to this uh, audio recording with a uh, fond tear in its eye, not that it can cry anymore being a mechanical monster from it's the just future. A, it's just a little trickle of oil. Indeed. God, that's grim. Uh, Gamble Award shortlist open. Hooray! We like the Gamble Awards. Not not, not just because it's at Nine Worlds and we can <laughs> kind of, you know, go down, go, kind of crawl out of our hotel room with a drink in hand and just go, oh look, Gamble Awards. Yeah, going back to the Nebulous for a second, that, that novella that you've never heard of uh, mm. appears to be about vampires uh, running a concentration camp for humans. Something from the opening paragraph I've just read on the internet. Ah. I should provide a link on the usage of social media. That sounds good. In fairness, the nebulas are normally quite good and quite cutting edge and quite useful the useful guideline to find out what new and exciting things are happening in the world of sci fi. I, I just do appear to have had extra snark juice this morning. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, so, uh, where were we? Uh, the three awards on are the Morning Star, the Raven Heart, and the Legend Awards. Um, good luck to everyone who qualifies. You can still get onto the website, Gamble Awards website, and vote. You, you can vote. You are responsible for who wins. Voting closes at midnight on Friday the 17th of July, and the winners will be announced on the Saturday the 8th of August at Nine Wells Geekfest. Yay! So, so hurry, hurry, scamp the scurry. Yeah. Um, Conan Doyle Estate to sue Miramax over Holmes. Oh, no, for God's, God's sake. sake. Um, get a copyright lawyer. Well, well, they have. That's kind of the whole thing, isn't it? it? It's because most of the copyright is free, except for the last like oh, is this, five. Oh, is, is this the controversial? Are they all? Are they aren't they in copyright thing? Mm. Yeah, this is the whole thing, and it, it'd been laid to rest. And the judges were like, "Stop being silly." By the time, by the time we get to the last ten stories, the character has clearly been established. Go away, and because Mister Holmes is set at the very end of Holmes's life, um, you know, it, it's a very it's. You know, apparently set towards the very end, then the, the self corner and the estate have played the, the only card they have left, which is there's still a copyright on these. We demand that someone pay our license fee. What's it, who job? Mm. Uh, 
anyway, if you've been following that saga, I think most of us had thought that it had been resolved at this point. And yeah. It's been fixed, and obviously it hasn't. Um, tickets are still available for Edgelet. Yay! <laughs> you should go. We're going. Is there some sort of live thing from the book room at, that sh- at Edgelet? Uh, there currently is planned a, a live show. We will be doing, this year, we will be doing three live shows. Mm. Um, we will be doing a live show at Edgelet, which you are free to come along. We'll be doing a live show at Nine Worlds, which you are free to come along, but we'll be in a, some sort of special booth. We have a little quiet room for, for podcasts. But feel free to, you know, if you can get in, get in. Um, the space will be quite limited, um, but feel free to turn up and heckle. <laughs> <laughs> We'd expect nothing less. Uh, and we'll also be at Blackpool Comic Con, and apparently there's a whole thing going on there with the rest of Fab Radio International. More news on that when we have a clue as to what on earth is going on. The first one will be at Edgelet, we understand. So mm. we're looking forward to that. And anyway, you can find us at the bar if we're not there. In related news, <laughs> related news, um, the Starburst team will be at Andacon. Uh, June the 14th that weekend the weekend of June the 14th we won't be because we are the bookworm team but you can mm. find the team from Star Wars magazine propping up the bar talking about Thunderbirds yay Thunderbirds so anyways actually it's in Derby in UK um, so if you're not in the UK mm, sorry um, and it's it will be at the Derby um, quad Saturday 11th of July 2015 I mean if you're American and you want to see us at something like Sasquatch Feel free. You will, uh, feel free to send us plane tickets. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You nice. know, if if you love us and and you're not in the UK and you feel that we should totally visit you, um, feel free to you know sponsor a a bookworm podcast trip. We are always happy to accommodate <laughs> our fans uh, and we'll do our utmost to to obviously be there for you. Fan, fan, the fan. There's one. just one. What, whoever you are, you know that we love you. Um, and shall we get to the last news? <laughs> yes, no, I can't. I can't say this. George, Mo- George, oh, I can't either. <laughs> George, George Oro Martin Plush out soon. Yes, you heard it. What? Here. There was a George Oro Martin Plush. It was earlier this year. It was at the New York Toy Fair. Um, uh, the toy manufacturer Factory are going to, going to go ahead with the plush version. It's been approved. So evil Santa. <laughs> so 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 <laughs> what what? Here in Fiddly Dear dear listener, how many times has he squished one of your favourite characters into death? Now you can squish him too. (laughs) Um, Someone was saying on our on our uh, Facebook page that they were hoping that they he would come with some pins. I mean, apparently it's going to be decked out in this fisherman's cap, uh, and this extra cuddly version of George apparently utters phrases when squeezed. We understand these will be mostly Game of Thrones quotes. So it's not going to be a it's not going to be a Tyrion, you're next, or (laughs) Sansa, (laughs) I'm coming for you. <laughs> it's 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 just gonna be quotes. Maybe maybe he'll say things about fan fiction too. Get annoyed. <laughs> um, I see you. <laughs> You're writing slash fic. <laughs> you should desist now. <laughs> oh, don't even don't even get me started. <laughs> but yes, have you always wanted to cuddle him and squeeze him and call him George? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. This is, this is, yeah. Then, then you might just be able to do so. Uh, moving on. Do you want Ed. to mention Miss Rowling's text? Oh, 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 oh tweet oh, thing. Sorry. Oh, um, 
that, that would require me actually faffing around with the internet. Oh, I've not faffed with the internet significant, uh, sufficiently yet. What, what are we talking about? J.K. Rowling, um, a lot of people have basically been complaining that um, obviously they never got their Hogwarts letter. One of the things that she frequently has to field as a response and as a letter is people going, I never received my Hogwarts letter. Now, it's worth pointing out, of course, that if you were born in 1985 uh, onwards, then Voldemort would have destroyed all of the Muggle records, so you mm. wouldn't have received your Hogwarts letter anyway. But if you were born before, like, you know, 1976, like me, I totally should have done. For Where? example. Where's my letter? Where is my letter? Where is my Hogwarts letter? Um, to which she has said, you have gotten your in- invitation we we all went to Hogwarts. <gasps> Did they put a, a memory charm on me? Is that why I don't remember? Yes. The exact quote is, all these people saying they never got their Hogwarts letter. You got the letter. You went to Hogwarts. We were all there together. Oh. I'm so in love with this woman. I love you, JK. Thank you for giving me Hogwarts. And uh, coming up next, sharks. Shark punk. So, um, I was lucky enough to get my hands on Shark Punk. Where um, you? Where are you lucky? Which uh, it's, it's <laughs> very, very much so. So, so Snowbooks is uh, Jonathan Green's um, baby, uh, and let's let's make the traditional joke. We are talking about Jonathan Green. That's the uh, award-winning fighting fantasy author and editor uh, and creator of Snowbooks. Not John Green, the, the the guy who's written the same book about four times. Ooh. Oh my god, what did you have this morning? <laughs> Bitch juice. <laughs> Can we say that word? I've said it. We said it. <laughs> anyway, so so different different gentlemen entirely, um and uh, we're fans of both their works, but anyway. So Jonathan Green put together um a collection of books called um called Shark Punk under snap uh, under snow books, which is all point shark. Now it's worth pointing out that Jonathan Green is the editor and um Kind of when it comes around anthologies, editors should be kind of in the background. But you can kind of see that if they're a good editor, they've they've got that kind of rhythm going. So you go from story to story, and the mood is always constant, and you can see where the mood mood is. And it kind of it'll take you on peaks and it'll take you on lows. And you know, they should a good anthology editor is like a good DJ. You should be able to read the read the kind of the vibe of the reader, or at least predict the vibe of the reader, and follow along particular lines, and also advise and curate the collection. And this is easier to do with a submission that's being called out. And these book, these short stories have been specifically ri- written for this anthology. He hasn't gone out and found stuff that's available. He's asked for people to contribute. Mm. And it's it's been quite a broad range of authors who've actually added. So we've got uh, Jenny Hill, who um, we're fans of here. Kit Cox, who all steampunk listeners will be very familiar with. Al Ewing, who I absolutely adore his work, both his comic book work and his written work. Um, the Fictional Man was one of the ones that one of our f- favourites of this year, and Toby Frost, which I believe Sai oh. was talking about a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so a nice collection of authors. So where does it start? It starts with Peter and the Invisible Shark by Jonathan Oliver, um, which is it's a great introduction to the story. It's about a guy who has a series of issues, and he keeps seeing sharks everywhere, and it's definitely that one dead-eyed shark that's coming for him. And it's less about sharks as a, it's less about sharks as you know 
underground water killers and Shulk's more of a metaphor for murder and death. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way to start. Then we get straight into Den Patrick, who of course we know from The, the Boy of the Porcelain Blade, mm-hmm. um, Blood and Water, where he does a, a psychological thriller slash superhero origin story oh. slash a horrible, horrible um, meta-commentary on the state of Eastern European politics. It's quite good. Um, we then move on to the Lick Split Spittle of Leviathan, which is a Terry Pratchett... Yeah, it's a Terry Pratchett-esque piece of silliness. Um, oh, is it? Yes, I believe it might be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Discover it for yourself <laughs> by picking up no, this book. He he was in a very interesting world in a very short space. Okay, uh, and it's kind of it's very silly. Uh, Ian Wright's produced Sharkadelic, which is a kind of it's like a nineteen sixties murder mystery. Of shark course, it story. is. Uh, <laughs> Of course it is. This just sounds. This just sounds amazing as, a, does, as a collection. I, I actually, when when you said I'm reviewing Shark Shark Punk, and I'm like, really? Yeah, and, yeah. So now, me too. Now me too. Listening to it, actually, I mean, especially the the superhero origin thing. I, I quite. I'm quite drawn to that. Well, it's quite dark that Dan Patrick story. Mm-hmm. It's very dark. I, I wouldn't expect any less. Uh, Sharkadelic is more is more kind of one of the it's a it's a murder story. It's kind uh, of is, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to ask: Is Austin Powers in it? Because it sounds like it should be. It, it's more surreal art. Uh, it's more that. So it's Andy Warhol. Yeah, <laughs> it's, then, it, it's an Andy Warhol. Okay. Then we get Shirley, which is about a shark called Shirley. Of course. Who is being trained to fight uh, a very specific creature? Uh, Shirley is fighting a bear. Uh, Moving on. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, shark, shark versus a bear. You're not familiar. Bear, polar bear versus shark. No. It's an internet meme from a few years ago. Where? Oh, maybe I, maybe I, I don't know. Anyway, Move she builds up. You obviously she, removed it from your mind. She builds mean. up on this idea to create a, a kind of a, sto- a like an international story, and just like, my goodness, what? But it really works. Yeah. Then we get deep black space, which is a Toby Frost story. Uh, so obviously it's Space Captain Smith they, they're going into space they're space sharks it's incredibly silly Aww. very very silly uh, David Tallerman gives us a tale called Shark Shark in the Heart um, which is quite good moving on just one of the steep red bells I found alright the one that made me grin and I think tells you awful, an awful lot about this collection is Shark Cop 2 Freeding Frenzy yeah. um, It's it features this detective He's worked out that if he's two days away from retirement, he's almost certainly doomed. He's yeah. ninety-two. He's never retired yet. Okay. He's had a number. He's had a number of uh, of rookie cops and you know rebel rebel cops who've all died in a hail of gunfire, and now his current partner is a were shark. <laughs> the, the the guy who the, the guy who runs this station is fine with this because everyone else has a partner with you know. With psychics or hypnotists, okay. Or, or, he know, has a wear shark. Or, or crime novelists, you know, all of those. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're all running in that station. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a wear shark. So shark up. Um, I quite liked. Let's see. It was an absolute, absolute pile of really nice stuff that I completely adored. I think I can get quite easily lost if I try and do them all one by one. Um, Beast of the Shark God by C.L. Werner was very much a C.L. Werner story, which I know sounds a bit vague. Vague, but C.L. Werner uh, has written Space Marines and he's written uh, Warhammer Fantasy and he's written stories about chaos knights wandering through the chaos wasteland, hitting things. This one is about a samurai 
with a magical sword that kills gods and demons. Oh, okay. Um, and he's fighting a, a demon shark god. And he turns up to the village and goes, I'm going to free you of this horrible shark. And they're like, uh, we're kind of worshipping the shark at the moment. Clonk. <laughs> <laughs> How so, very dare you? This, this does not fit in with our coming <laughs> So, so you know, it's quite, quite a fun story. The shark is also quite fun. Uh, the serial killer who thought she was a shark is amazing. Uh, absolutely, it's a great little short story about a lady. Right, okay, in the future... Serial killers have been counted as an endangered species. <laughs> okay, intriguing. Uh, and they they live in a kind of open prison. So the so this uh, this kind of WWF for serial killers, WWE, no no WWF, not the wrestling, the World Wildlife Fund. Uh, they, this organisation for serial killers have like floating cameras on them at all times, so they don't accidentally murder anyone. So they're under constant surveillance. Um, but apart from that, they get to they get to be out in the world. They're just bagged and tagged. Mm. And people are watching to make sure that they don't, you know, go completely boswonk. This particular woman thinks that she is a shark. She doesn't actually think she's a flippy floppy fish. She just thinks that, you know, compared to everyone else, she is a shark, everyone else is minnows. That's how her mind is built, as it were. And um, she's she's allowed to go to this conference where they're talking about conservation. So she's allowed to be presented at this conservation uh, conference in Australia. The thing about Australia is Australia doesn't allow surveillance laws, so all the cameras are turned off. Uh. So she's on her best behaviour. Great story, one of my highlights. Um, Gary, Mc uh, Gary McMahon with Silent Waters Running Deep. He is a master of horror. Make no mistake of that. It's a great story. Uh, you are the shark. I should explain the gag here. Uh, Jonathan Green has won awards for his novel You Are the Hero um, You Are the Shark is a by Al Ewing it's, it's a fantastic story about mourning it's a brilliant ending to the collection so did I like it are you kidding I loved it <laughs> it d didn't sound like yeah, you, it you, you couldn't tell that no no, no. Um, it, it, it doesn't have really a clunker in there uh, I, I don't particularly like Kit Cox's writing so I didn't find that as much fun as maybe the rest of them but yeah, no, I enjoyed it uh, all the way through. Uh, it's on Snowbooks. It's by Jonathan. It's edited by Jonathan Green. It's out now. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. So uh, we were lucky enough to talk to Tim Wagonet. Uh, he was completely lovely and we caught up about his latest work that he's doing for Angry Robot. This is Fab Radio International. Tim Wagoner, welcome to the book one. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. What can you tell us about your new book? Well, my latest work is from Angry Robot. It's a novel called Dream Stalkers. It's the second in the Shadow Watch series. Um, it deals with an organization that works to um, kind of police living nightmares that have been created in existence dreams. Features uh, two characters, Tadra and the nightmare that she created 
uh, called Jinx. He's a nightmare clown, and together they are partners in the Shadow Watch. And they um, don't always have the uh, most easy of working relationships. It's not easy to work with your your nightmare made flesh. But uh, uh, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell. It might seem like a daft question, but why clowns? Well, when I was came up with the idea for the series, uh, I was looking for a different kind of nightmare archetype than you know something that would be. Uh, you know, more like a vampire or a werewolf or just something that was, you know, kind of stereotypically monstrous. And there are so many people that seem to be afraid of clowns. And my oldest daughter is one of them. They make her very uncomfortable. But I thought that might be kind of an interesting archetype to work with. Now, I was just going to say, it seems to me that the clown archetype, there's a lot of richness to it because it's supposed to be fun. But if you push the fun to the point of, you know, chaos, there's a lot of story possibilities in that, too. How is this different from other projects that you've worked on? Well, a short story idea, I think, needs to be just a smaller scope in a lot of ways um, and something that can be compressed enough that not only would it fit a short story, but in and of itself, it couldn't be any other length. So for short stories, I tend to look for things that are smaller ideas, maybe smaller images. And for a novel, what I'm looking for is a broader scope, especially in terms of the character's and how they may relate to each other and, and the journey that they go on. Um, so for a novel idea, it needs to have something where there's enough permutations of the theme, of the idea to like extend it to a great length. And sometimes you're not sure you know, which is going to be which until you actually sit down to write and explore it. What are you currently working on? Well, the project I'm working on right now is a horror novel called The Mouth of the Dark. Um, after that, I'll probably, if all goes well, start on, because I've done some media tie-in work, and I'll probably start on a new Supernatural novel for Titan Books. Anything else for Angry Robot? Well, right now, I've got a number of proposals in with Angry Robot, and we're kind of batting around ideas to see what I'm going to do for them next. So I'm going to do something, just not sure what it is yet. What can you tell us about the Supernatural project? Well, um, assuming that uh, the CW approves the pitches that I sent in, or at least approves one of them, um, my plan is, the thing I like most about the series is the relationship between the two brothers. Um, and so I'll focus on that just as I did with the other works I've done in Supernatural. And what I'll try to do is find something that, you know, has the power dynamic between them going back and forth. A lot of times it feels like one brother has more power than the other. I think it might be fun to kind of watch it go back and forth for one novel. Um, and sometimes, sometimes too, what I look for is, trying to play around with things that the TV series doesn't really address. You know, one of the interesting things about Supernatural is that the brothers have, like, very small kind of adventures in the back roads of America. They never go to cities. They never leave America. Or they'll have adventures that have implications for the entire world, but they don't seem to do anything in between. I think it's interesting that they, uh, they never do go to a city. You would think there would be plenty of monsters living in cities for them to deal with. So, you know, I might play around with something like that, too. Why horror? Right. Well, for me, the appeal of horror is it has a kind of um, imaginative mystery to it, I guess. You know, fantasy fiction tends to be, in general, the imaginative elements, and same for science fiction, they tend to be just very upfront. But with horror, there's this sense of, you know, what's there out in the dark, uh, what may be you know, lurking beyond what we know, um, what may be lurking inside us that we don't know. And... Um, I think it creates interesting story possibilities as a reader and as a writer both. So it's a sense of imaginative mystery that I think that, that people really get out of it more than anything. Why fantasy? Um, I think 
kind of myth images that really resonate with people. Um, I think dragons represent strength. Um, they represent freedom if, if they're the type of dragon. Um, and I think they like the best magic. They're like double-edged swords. It's like we're, we're in love with them, but at the same time, it's something that might destroy us or turn on us. Um, so I think it has all these wonderful kind of elements to to the dragon, you know, archetype that so many things people can can get out of it or read into it. What are your inspirations? When I was a kid, uh, I used to watch a TV series called Kolchak the Night Stalker, and you know, I would love to write a, even just a short story, uh, and just because I loved it so much as a kid. Um, I haven't done any Star Trek or Star Wars, and I love both of those, so that would be a lot of fun. Um, and I haven't done any kind of like fiction based on uh, any superheroes at all. So if there was, uh, you know, a novelization of like a superhero movie, anthology of stories like about Superman or something, those would be a lot of fun to do. Back to Supernatural for a moment. Any plans for Castiel? You know, I'm hoping that I'll be able to get Castiel into the my next book. the The way that it usually works is that they the the studio will tell you in general, you know, what season they want you to set the book in. And sometimes they'll tell you, you know, don't use this character or that character because we have plans for them. And so the the last couple things that I did for Supernatural, I couldn't use Castiel at that point. It was just the way the series was at that time. But at this point, I believe I can. So I'm looking forward to that because he's I think he's a wonderful character. And he's not one I've had a chance to write yet. So you know, hopefully that'll work out. Where do you draw inspiration? Okay. Um, in a lot of ways, it's just from the world around me. I tend to notice just odd things, and I wonder about them. Um, for example, once, a few years back, I was driving down uh, the road near a university, and there was somebody just lying in the grass, kind of, sort of half, you know, half on their side, half face down, and you know, the person started moving after it, and I realized everything was okay. But as I was driving, I thought, you know, what if this person was just lying there, and what if you know, I what would I do? Would I go back? Would I check for on the person? Would I just call the police on my phone? And so, anything that I might see like that kind of sparks ideas, and then I you know I write them down, and they might percolate for a number of years before I actually use them. In terms of tie-ins, um, often what I do is I take a look at the 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 show and I think about what I would like to see, like an episode I would like to see that hasn't been done or something that hasn't been explored. And for a tie-in novel, I look for something a little bit bigger than a normal episode, um, just because I have that kind of scope. And things that couldn't be done, maybe because they'd be too expensive for television, too. Um, so I could, you know, I have an unlimited budget when I write fiction, so I can create whatever I want. Who are your favorite authors at the moment? Oh, I love, um, I love Laird Barron. He writes some wonderful books. Um, uh, also, Simon Strancis. Uh, lately, I've been reading... Um, you know, in the new weird and some of the newer horror writers. I like Ray Cluey. He's really great. Um, Alison Littlewood. I just read on Facebook that she's produced a zombie novel as part of Stephen Jones' zombie apocalypse series, and I'm really looking forward to that because I love her writing. I'd love to see how she plays with that kind of uh, the kind of trope, see what she brings to it. Um, Livia Llewellyn, she's a wonderful writer too. So those are some of the ones just off the top of my head. Simpsons or Futurama? Um, Futurama. Werewolves or vampires? Ooh, um, werewolves. Truth or beauty? Truth. Tim Wagner, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you very much. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. (laughs) 
Welcome back. You're listening to the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes. I'm here with the lovely Ed. Hello. And uh, you've just listened, or just missed, um, Ed's interview with Tim Wagner. He was lovely. He seemed really lovely. And a lot of interesting um, information about his latest project. Um, so moving on, uh, I mean, today we've got a bit of a weird show because we've just, you know... Um, heard Ed's review of, of shark, shark Punk. Shark Punk. I, I have to. I, there's no way I can just say Shark Punk. It, it has to be Shark Punk, um, which sounded pretty cool. And I, I actually, I have to admit, I was a bit prejudiced uh, against you've, it. You've kept in. You've kept in theme. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have totally kept in theme, theme. Um, by picking um, Longbourn by Joe Baker, which is. Um, uh, a, a trans world books um publishing um to for, for my review today so it's it's uh, it's regency and sharks sprite prejudice and sharks today <laughs> sense and sh- sharks that, that, that book that jane austen never wrote no no she always wanted to though we all know this <laughs> so um i know normally our show is about sci-fi and fantasy and all sorts of branching out but we do look at Sort of cult. We do and cult, and this is alternate realities. It, it, it is, and, it is. Uh, and you know what? Heck with it. It's it's Longbourn, it's, it's Longbourn, Joe Baker, yeah. it's Pride and Prejudice from the servant's point of view. Yeah. Tell us all about it. Tell us all about it. So, um, it's Pride and Prejudice in, in, from the point of view of the servants. That 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 sums it up in, in a very tight little nutshell. Um, what Joe Baker's done is she's sort of mapped out the events of um, Pride and Prejudice um, and told the story from the small group of servants that work behind the scenes in the kitchens and cleaning up the, the ladies' mess and, and, you know, hold Mrs. Bennett's hand when she has one of her nervous breakdowns and all that kind of thing. Um, and so every time you see a servant in Pride and Prejudice, she's told us what that servant was doing there and what they were thinking. Every time there's a, a meal prepared and served, you see it from the kitchen's point of view. Every time the ladies go to a ball, uh, you see the footman waiting outside uh, in the carriage in the cold, um, now and then catching a glimpse of, of the beautiful ladies and gentlemen dancing in, in the ballrooms, etc. Uh, but she's given these servant characters a life of their own. So the, the the book is divided in three volumes. The first volume is very much following the um, Pride and Prejudice storyline, but again, from the um, servant's point of view. So you have the old uh, Mr. Hill and his wife, Mrs. Hill, um, and she's um, sort of the... Um, the 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 cook of the house, but she's also um, the governess. So she she oversees that you know the washing's done on a certain day and the linens clean and the you know the the house is tidy. Uh, she plans the meals and and delivers them and makes sure that the servants are all doing what they need to be doing. Uh, Mister Hill, the the old butler who doesn't have as much to do nowadays because he's just too old and tired but they keep him because you know even even though he's the butler and a servant he's still a member of the household uh, and they take care of each other Uh, then you have um, very very young Polly who's just a little girl um, who's an orphan that's been taken in 
um, to help around the house and she's been trained by Mrs. Hale. And you have Sarah, who is a young woman uh, who also an orphan and was taken in by Mrs. Hill a few years before um, who is now fully trained and sort of in that age when young women start to notice young men uh, and um, it's um, that that's basically the kernel of it and then this um, young man James um, comes into the fold um, He it's strange because most young men um, would either be uh, enrolled because um, of the different wars that are going on in that period or um, they would be doing other types of jobs and sad James um, decides to sort of like take on a servant's role which is a little bit unusual for a, an able man at, at that point um, but I, either way he's welcomed into the servant's um, um, sort of role and, and, and then um, many many stories are weaved in between um, the second volume um, tells you what happened before so it's a glimpse into James backstory and why he's the way he is and why he's ended up being a servant in the Longboat household uh, it looks at uh, Mr and Mrs Hill backstory how it came that they got married it also shows you Mr Bennett before he was married and how uh, Mrs Bennett came to know him and and then got married etc the third volume um is sort of like um brings it all together so the backstories with the pride and prejudice storyline and how the characters then end up sort of like resolving their own plots in a way um so the secret origins of pride and prejudice then. um pretty much um seen from a completely different point of view um i was it whilst was the um there was the break for the interview me and and uh, producer al were having a, a quick chat mm -hmm. about it because i was just asking have you read it and she said oh not yet but i've heard a lot about it and i know when i first picked it up i sort of went on facebook look look i've got this thing and it looks mm -hmm. really cool and being a big pride and prejudice fan i was really excited about it and the first thing i had was about I like my my friends base split in two <laughs> very clear bases the oh my god no i hate it what has she done base and the oh it was lovely and it added so much to the story base where am i you ask i'm right in between there were places in the book where i felt uncomfortable because um i love pride and prejudice so much and the the sheer happiness that all of these characters find at the end and obviously Elizabeth's story is so compelling and, and, and so so lovely and inspiring in a way um, this is nothing like it there is a darkness and a grittiness and you look at like all of the nastiness as well that there is at the time so there's a scene when um, Sarah the, the young servant is walking to Meryton and she just happens to pass by the barracks of the soldiers uh, and the officers that are staying in Meryton at the time uh, and to half witness a whipping and it just it's so uncomfortable to read because obviously 
this is something that runs in the background very much during Pride and Prejudice, so you don't get to see that. But it, you, there's a part of you that knows these things happened, but it's not in the book. Uh, instead, in Longboat, all of this is explored and open wide. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also saying before to producer how Lydia's story and the running away with Mr. Wickham all of a sudden takes that much of a darker edge. There's a lot about Mr. Wickham in the book, and you see... <sighs> Again, you read in the book how he tried to woo um, mm. <coughs> um, um, Georgiana Darcy. And there is a, a particular scene in the book, I'm not going to go too much into it, where you just feel like literally my skin crawled <laughs> of how creepy these men becomes. Like, it See, yeah, I, I do wonder how much... Austin sort of glossed over some of it originally. Whether I mean, how much she was even really thinking about it, because some of the themes in Pride and Prejudice, especially around mm. Wickham and his actions, you look at them and go, "Oh, that's, that's yeah." Not but good. Not, you, it doesn't hit you because, you, as you say, it's glossed over almost. So you know that he pretty much almost got Georgiana kidnapped and then tried to make her fall in love and stuff and she was very young can I, very can young. I just very say young. can I just say I enjoyed The Guns of the Dawn so much more than I've ever enjoyed Pride and Prejudice <laughs> so much so much more fun oh, and no. you know all it, all it needs is wizards and a strong stronger female character and you know some 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 more flintlocks, and it's it's great. <laughs> no, but I love Pride and Prejudice, and I I did enjoy Longbourn for completely different reasons. But it, if you do pick it up, uh, just keep in mind you're seeing the the other side of that world. So whereas you follow sort of like middle and middle and upper class and the nobility, and mm. and it's all a bit shinier. I mean, it it made me giggle when I first read that passage. But there is a passage, and it's pretty much the beginning of the book where Sarah's reflecting on mm, would Elizabeth still go for her very long walks in the mud if mm. she then had to basically clean all the grass and mm. mud stains off her own clothes. <laughs> petticoats um and it's it's silly but at the same time you sort of stop and think yeah who did all that because you know she did go on a lot of walks in the mud dear elizabeth so fond of walking um and yes it it's it's the the row hands that that you know are that are red and split open from from cleaning those petticoats it's it's the cleaning of the pigs <laughs> I have no okay. other words. In the courtyard, it's it's the smell of the of the stables. It's the 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 the, the whipping of the soldier, and 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 it's it's you know young women and and how they were treated at the time, and it's it's a harsher look into that society. Um, it adds to some of the backstories. <clears throat> from Pride and Prejudice, but it is a different story. So if you enjoy fanfic that is based around Pride <laughs> and Prejudice, I would definitely say read it because it's a lovely insight. It's very well written. A bit too bit too gritty in places for my taste, if if we're looking at it from it's a Pride and Prejudice spin off. Yeah. But at the same time, perhaps a more realistic look in what into what it was to be alive at that time for most people. 
So who's it by? It's Longbourn by Joe Baker, and it's published by Transworld Books. And I think next show we talk about uh, alternate reality. We always talk about alternate realities because we're fiction. <laughs> but um, shall we talk about you know how how fan fiction and how authors reinterpret established worlds? Mm. Across the world. So the thing with this thing with shark punk, shark punk, shark punk was what it was essentially doing was it was taking a many established worlds and throwing together the kind of shark theme. So it was like, well, what the world would be like if it was more shark oriented? <laughs> so we had a, so we had a. Um, there's one of the stories in there is basically Pacific Rim but with sharks, okay, for example, uh, and power armor and so on, and it's that kind of. There's kind of a sheer fanish joy going from all these writers where they're looking at the world and going, okay, well, if I add this twiddle and I make this change, then suddenly the world is different and I can tell a different sort of story. Yeah. Well done for finding a common thread. Like, <laughs> I, I would have never. But, yeah, it, it, I mean, I think the, the, the theme is uh, let's look at the established um, tropes and worlds and turn them into something different. And, I mean, I would have never thought I would say these words, but actually, shark punk sounds like something I would really enjoy. It's, I think the one that kind of defines it for me is is the the shark cop story, <laughs> where he quite clearly is having an awful lot of fun having a go at all of these different kind of shark world, mm. uh, all these um, crime story, crime detective TV shows, mm. and yet somehow he's added a mad action movie cliche into where sharks it's an urban fantasy where shark story <laughs> but, but he's that's a phrase you don't hear every day <laughs> more often than I expect only on the bookworm <laughs> on the bookworm um, but you know one of the ones that wasn't tried of course was a Regency shark punk <laughs> no no I'm not I, I, I have to say and I'm being really honest uh, Pride Prejudice and Zombies not for me I, I wouldn't even pick it up I'm sure it's um, fun for a lot of people it's just not something that I don't know it, uh. I, I love I love that it exists because somewhere my my stuffy GCSE English teacher is having an apoplectic shot is yeah. having a fit because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. because it's not literature <laughs> exactly well yes it is sir most of it is literature 95% of it is someone's just added some fan fiction to it mm. do you have a problem with creativity sir <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, let me see those claws. Have they been sharpened this it's, morning? It's the look on his face, do you mean? Ooh, we should take a picture. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, if you every possible, I guess, iteration of Pride and Prejudice and insert thing here, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Servants and Sharks and a modern media enterprise mm-hmm. company, you know, you can either find it on, on fan fiction sites or... Or you can just watch Bridget Jones. Or you can watch Bridget Jones. Oh, God, I love Bridget Jones. Yeah. But Absolutely. it's it's but it's not subtle as a as a Pride and Prejudice fanfic. Uh, mm. When when we were talking about this, during, we were talking about Longbourn during mm-hmm. the interview. I, I did sort of go onto the internet to find out some things about it, and one of the things I found was the uh, Longbourn Amazon page, 
um, which, amongst other things, telegraphed half a dozen other effectively fanfic fan books. Fan books about Pride and Prejudice. You know, everything from the ascendant death comes to pembley which is made its form oh, as being adapted God, so to tv good. yeah so uh good. to you know other things of what happens after mr bennett dies and mm. what happens when lizzie goes to pembley and uh, all that sort of stuff you know? but uh, again you know great literature inspires and it's amazing that some publishers have felt that yes let's let's see what happens next this is a good book let's and let's let's there. briefly talk about the harper collins austin project ah yes which is which is uh, the six biggie jane austen novels reimagined um and you can possibly hear these speech marks in my tone uh, reimagined <laughs> by 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 well-known famous authors um i've I have haste to say i've not read any of these they've published three so far the most recent to be published is emma by alexander mccall smith known for the number one lady detective agency um mm-hmm. set series a book which apparently was also very good um uh, yeah, I've read the synopsis. It sounds like, broadly speaking, they've updated the location and the jobs um, of the characters, and that's about it. You see, I have a confession to make the fact that I, I was forced to read Pride and Prejudice when I was a kid. I didn't enjoy it then. I tried it again because various, various friends of mine were like, you've got to enjoy it, you've got to love it. And I start you to must un- love this! I start to understand people who stand in a room and go, I don't like Star Wars, and then expect, you know, and they, they almost flinch when they see it and it's like how can you not love Star Wars I it took me a long time to get Pride and Prejudice I get Pride and Prejudice I still don't particularly like it um, to be honest it was the Ang Lee movie the Ang Lee version of Keira Knightley mm. that, oh, that made me uh, and I really I don't I don't rate Ang Lee and that's a different conversation <laughs> don't rate Ang Lee no seriously he, he picked so a very good script yeah. Yeah. Um, moving swiftly on moving swiftly on Yes, seriously. I was the only one in my class to finish Pride and Prejudice, and I read it in Italian. Wow. In Italian. Um, and then I reread it in English a few years later, obviously, quite a few years later. Is when it I very different? It Italian? isn't at all. Okay. To the point where I read it in English, and obviously, it's, it's more archaic type of English mm-hmm. and I could still recognise in my head the paragraphs that I'd read in oh, Italian okay. uh, it was a very well, very good translation and the book is still at home in, in my home in Italy in my mum's home um, and I just fell in love do you know what it, do you know what it is I've just, I've just come across it 16 year old girls absolutely read Pride and Prejudice most boys should wait until they're 21 and have had and then have had at least fallen in love, had a serious relationship, then they should read Pride and Prejudice mm. because otherwise they won't get it. Whereas it's the other way around. But that's a different conversation about <laughs> gender and stereotypes and all the rest. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9 p.m. till 11 p.m. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. Send your angry Tumblr posts <laughs> to, <laughs> <laughs> to Ed Fortune. <laughs> to Ed underscore, uh, at Ed underscore Fortune or also at Radio Bookworm or Tumblr Radio Bookworm or Facebook Radio Bookworm. I've been Ed Fortune. It's goodbye for me. And I've been Nympha Hayes. <laughs> goodbye. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson. Thank you.